Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Turn with me. I'm going to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Excuse me, Genesis chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Genesis chapter 3 and 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Lord is good. They tell us that one out of every five gifts, gift cards purchased is never used. In the year 2011, there was $972 million in unredeemed gift cards. Money spent, never redeemed. I am thankful tonight for the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. I am so thankful tonight to have a gift that is so priceless. You can't put a dollar amount on it. I'm glad I've been redeemed. Amen. He didn't leave us unredeemed. I'm thankful for that. The book of Genesis chapter 3 In verse number 22, turn your attention to the word of the Lord. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden just been expelled to till the ground from whence he was taken so he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life 1st Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6 the apostle Paul writing to his son Timothy says but godliness with Contentment is great gain. I want to preach to you a a thought that the Lord laid on my heart about three weeks ago. I'd like to title this message this, When Having Everything is Not Enough. When Having Everything is Not Enough. I need you to lift your hands to the Lord right now and pray to the Lord to minister to our hearts and lives. Lord Jesus... We need you, Lord. We are in need of you, God. We are in need of you, God. We need you, Lord. Oh, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, help me to speak your word, oh, Lord. Give you praise. Give you praise. Turn to your neighbor and tell them when having everything is not enough. You may be seated. It is a courtesy and not a command. Adam and Eve, they were the first couple. The first union of family made in God's image. Handcrafted by the master creator himself. 
made for one another. They had everything there was to have. If I could start in the list going from the beginning forward, they had light, they had darkness, they had water, they had dry land, they had grass, herbs, fruit trees, seasons, the sun and the moon. They had stars to look at at night. They had sea creatures and birds and cattle, creeping things, beasts as the Bible calls them. They had the dominion over every living thing that moved upon the earth. And don't just glaze over that in your Bible reading and just say, big deal, they had dominion. They literally had dominion over every living thing on the earth. They could look at the lion face to face and say, sit down, Bubba, and keep your mouth shut. They had dominion. They had a daily mist of water that would wet the whole face of the ground because there was not rain yet. God had suspended rain and suspended the growth of plants and herbs and hadn't allowed them to grow yet because there was not a man to till the ground. Then they had the Garden of Eden from which they lived. They had every tree that was pleasant to the sight. Every tree that is good for food, they had the tree of life. They even had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had a river that went out of Eden to water the garden. They had gold, they had delium, they had the onyx stone, they had the opportunity and responsibility to name every animal. Then there were some things that they didn't have. They didn't have a mortgage payment. All you homeowners say amen. amen. They didn't have insurance to worry about. No car payment. No worries over Eve spending too much shopping. No cell phone bills. No social media. No competing with the neighbor to get your yard mowed first. No job to stress over. No family to stress over. No promotion to worry about. No balancing the checkbook and fussing over who spent the most money. No worrying over their family's safety. No known disease. Literally, Everything that was available to have or to obtain was at their disposal. Everything they didn't need, they didn't have to worry about. There was nothing lacking Adam and Eve. Everything they could hope for was at their disposal. There was only one rule. Can you imagine a life that only had one rule? There was only one rule to live by. Outside of this rule, it was no holds barred. Everything was theirs. They could touch it. They could feel it. They could eat it. They could sleep on it. They could run around it. They could tiptoe over it. They could jump over it. They could do whatever they wanted to as long as this one single rule they followed. Do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The judgment for eating this fruit was death. We know it not as a physical death. It was a spiritual death. We also know that the Bible declares that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight sin begins not only with the physical act. 
Sin begins not only with the thought or an image of something. Sin begins in the atmosphere of disobedience. Disobedience is the delivery room where sin is birthed. And mistakes are made that push you beyond and farther away from God and not closer to God. Disobedience is simply the refusal to comply with or just simply disregard. To not regard something as important is, in a word, disobedience. You know, it's interesting to me, and I heard this said years ago and I find it to be more true now, but it's interesting that people don't backslide anymore. They just change churches. People don't back. People don't mess up. You just preach the wrong thing. Amen. It is more common in this age than ever before for people to leave a church just because of their refusal to allow the Word of God and their refusal to follow the instruction of the man of God to instrument in their life the ways of Almighty God. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a sin for you to disobey the Word of God. It is a sin for you to disobey the instructions of the man of God that is telling you the truth of God's Word. I've not come tonight to win friends and influence people. I've come tonight to birth something that God has delivered within my spirit. I pray to do it with sincerity and humility. But do not judge your submission to God based on your agreement with God. We need to judge our submission and our obedience to God when we disagree with what's being taught. Disagreement doesn't mean it's wrong. There's the difference. I can disagree with you and you be 100% correct. But I can still choose to disagree. You, 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 can say, you can say that steak cooked well done is the best. Brother Freddie would stand up beside me and say, yes it is. Get all the juice out of it. Blacken it if you have to. I would tell you steak cooked medium rare is the best. Now, I've not come to gross anybody out tonight if that's not your forte. I respect that. I'm just providing you with an example. There are things that we could argue and debate the points tonight that you think are right and I think are right. And as long as you think you're right and I think you're wrong, I can disagree with you all day long. And that doesn't make me right. Yeah. Just because you say, preacher, I don't think that's right, does not make the word of God of no effect. You can choose to disagree with what God is instructing you to do and you still be wrong. I know, I'll forewarn you tonight, this will be firm meat. Uh, this isn't milk word tonight, so get your feelings off your shoulders. So let me just forewarn you up front. I love you. I love you. Or I wouldn't preach what God's given me. Hey. 
Don't judge your submission to your pastor off of your agreement with him. Because I tell you inevitably there will be days that you are going to disagree with what he has to say. But let me, read, let me say it as a voice of a thousand trumpets tonight. Just because you disagree doesn't make you right. We need a spirit check. Zig Ziglar said we need a check up from the neck up. We need a spiritual check. We need somebody to get in our face and in our grill every once in a while to say, hey, Mason, you're wrong. You need to pray more. You need to study more. You need to do more. You need to sing more. You need to do... I need somebody to straighten my life up. I don't want to go to hell and I can't make it to heaven on my own. can't make it to heaven without a man of God. I need somebody to teach me the way. So people don't backslide anymore. They just start disagreeing with the man of God and say, I'm going to go there. Going there doesn't make you right. Ha <laughs> You judge your submission to God. You judge your obedience to your leadership by the factor of your disobedience. When you approach your man of God and you say, Hey, I've been praying about this. And he comes back to you and said, The Lord said no. My God, I feel a cloud of anointing right now. He comes back to you and he says no. It is your choice to listen. All he's doing is proving himself the voice of God. Mm. But he comes back to you and he says no. And the spirit of this age rises inside of your flesh and says I pray to. The spirit of this age rises inside of your flesh and says but I hear from God too. Pastor's not the only one that hears from God. I don't care what anyone says. I know I heard from God. Let me give you a life tip because I've been there. If you have to defend it to the point of having a bad attitude about it, it's not the will of God. If you have to defend it at all, it's not about God, it's about you. If your answer to being instructed is to quit, then your motive wasn't right to begin with. If your solution to being told what is right and what is wrong is to do it anyway, it doesn't make it right. Your actions aren't going to change the word of God. Your actions aren't going to change the mind of God. Your disobedience will separate you from God. Here's the thing that is dangerous about disobedience. You don't have to do anything to disobey. Some sins are a physical act. But you don't physically have to do anything. You can just do nothing and disobey. And that's why disobedience is so dangerous. And it's so easy for us to disobey because if we are not careful, we will simply focus on what I want. 
And then I focused on what I want so much that what I want I perceive as the will of God. But if what I want is contrary to what these gentlemen preach for my life, it is a sin. Your actions don't change it. Now let me give you a disclaimer. Because I don't want to be misunderstood. My present company, or if you're listening at a later date by way of the internet, I don't want to be misunderstood tonight at the First Apostolic Church of Mount Carmel. We are blessed with ministry. And we are blessed with ministry that does not get involved in our personal lives. We just preach the Word. Preach what is right, preach what is wrong. It is your choice to listen. It is your choice to obey the Word of God. The only time you are going to have your pastor or your bishop tell you person to person that you don't need to do something or that you need to do something is on two occasions. One of two occasions. Every other time, what you're going to hear is just teaching and preaching. The only times you're going to have anybody to your face say you don't or you do is number one, if you ask the question. Hey, let's be real tonight. If you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. Some of you have heard the story that, uh, about the, the lady back in the, the 90s that I was working with on the production line. She asked me come close to New Year's Eve. She said, you don't believe it's wrong to drink. You just think it's wrong to drink in excess, right? And she says this to me in front of a group of people. I don't know what she was thinking. But I answered her emphatically and politely, yes, I believe it is wrong in the eyes of God to drink alcohol. Amen. Amen. She called me everything but a 21-year-old white boy. Because I was 21 then. Not now. Not misrepresenting. But if you're going to ask the question, please be man enough or woman enough to take the answer. The answer we're giving doesn't mean we expect you to agree. We are just telling you the truth based on the Word of God. Well, I don't interpret it that way. The Bible says that His Word is of no private interpretation. So if you're going to ask the question, and you're really genuinely, sincerely interested in the answer. Take it. And then think about it and pray about it. You don't have to, oh, that's right, I agree. You don't, you don't have to do that. But don't get mad. Don't storm out of the church and cuss and fuss because they said something to you that you asked about. And the second area in which you're going to be told to do or not to do is in any office of leadership. Ministers, musicians, singers, choir members, board members, teachers. And that's a short list. Every company operates in such a manner that its employees adhere to certain policies and guidelines. Every one of you have a job and you're told on the job what you will and will not do. 
And this isn't in my notes, but allow me to get on my soapbox for just a moment. The reason why some of us have such a problem with God is because we have a problem in life. Most of the people who don't want to hear the preached word of God don't have a boss that they like, don't want to be told what to do in any area of their life. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a submission problem. That's an obedience problem. That's a rebellion problem. That is a sin problem. So allow me to say tonight, I know this is strong meat, but allow me to say tonight the church is no different just because its employees are volunteers. I am still under subjection to this man. This man who I grew up with. This man who I'm almost five years older than. This man who since we were teenagers, I've loved and adored. This man who I have the privilege outside of this house of calling brother. But when I step into this sacred house, ladies and gentlemen, I have the privilege of saying, Pastor, preach me the word of God. Pastor, tell me what I need to do to be saved. Pastor, tell me what is right. It's a dangerous place when having everything's not enough. I may get fired after tonight. But ladies and gentlemen, oh Lord, I can't handle that. Right is right. Hear me tonight. I'm, I'm trying to minister to you with sincerity. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And your life conditions and circumstances don't change that. How can we as a church... I'm still on my disclaimer, okay? We're not even preaching yet. This is my disclaimer. How can we as a church witness... How can we win our community if the leadership isn't living the lifestyle that they should live? And if the leadership can't handle being told what to do? And if the leadership can't let their boss say, hey, no! Yeah, that's good stuff, preacher. That's good stuff, preacher. Ladies and gentlemen, all I'm trying to say tonight is we need to get over our flesh, we need to get a side of our flesh, and we need to get a real relationship with Almighty God. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the devil. Our life with God is not about religion. It was a couple of months or so ago, someone looked at me and said, I'm not religious. I looked at him and I said, me neither. What? I am not religious at all. If you understand the true meaning of religious, it just means you practice something. Religion doesn't save you. Religion doesn't make you apostolic. Religion doesn't baptize you. Religious doesn't mean, religion just means you do something. Wash your car, cook your eggs. Religion just means you do something over and over and over and you practice. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not religious. 
this is a lifestyle. This has got to be who I am on Monday and on Tuesday. I can't just serve God on Sundays and Wednesday. Lord, you know I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. I never take my coat off. It's dangerous to fall prey to self-justification. Denying instructions you're given and refusing to accept the spoken word of God in your life is dangerous. But God hasn't spoke to me, preacher. Oh, yes, He has. Every time a man of God stands behind this sacred desk, you hear the voice of God. When your pastor speaks a word into your life, whether it's behind this sacred desk, whether it's behind his desk, or standing in your living room, it is a word fitly spoken by an oracle of God for that moment in your life. Let me put it to you this way. You can accept this, you can deny this, but this is a fact. It's not optional. I've lost half of you by now. But it's not optional. Serving God's not optional. If you want to go to heaven, serving God's not optional. And, and I don't want to turn anybody off. I don't want to offend anybody tonight. Our new folks that are here, I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I sure don't want to, want to give you the wrong picture tonight. But here it is in a nutshell. When you're serving God from today and 30 days later from now, you should be closer to God than you are now. 30 days after that, you should be closer to God than you are now. A year from now, you should be closer to God than you are now. It's that simple. It really is. We start our walk with God at point A. I move to point B. I learn more about God. I move to point C. Let's not overcomplicate the matter. All right? I'm not expecting, and I know Pastor isn't expecting, new converts to under the deep, understand the deep revelations of the Word of God. We move from point C to point D. I learn more about God. I get a Bible study because now I'm getting real hungry. I move from E to F. Are you understanding me tonight? We move from point to point. Don't worry about interpreting revelations until you understand the mighty God in Christ. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I'd say don't ever worry about understanding revelations. Because after chapter 4, we're not here anyway. You just under <laughs> you just worry about being right with God. Bishop, I'm not worried about gas prices. I'm not worried about the price of a gallon of milk. I'm not going to I'm not going to live my life in regret over the presidential election. And I'm not going to worry about Israel. If I'm going to worry about anybody, it's going to be us. He's going to take care of his own. Let me tell you why I'm not as worried tonight. Because he said when you see these signs come to pass, look up. Look up. Because your savings drawing nigh. 
So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to worry about being right with God. If you'll get right with God, all these other things, they'll just take care of themselves. Disobedience is dangerous. You can say, preacher, it's not for me. You just disobeyed. Oh, not really. Let's look at the definition. To disregard. This, the factor of disobedience isn't based on you knowing it's right and not doing it. You can just disregard it. Disobedience is so dangerous you can disobey and not even know it. That's why we need a sensitivity to God. That's why we need to understand what we believe. So that you don't find yourself disobeying God. I don't want to be guilty. My, how dangerous it would be to find ourselves at the portal of glory and not enter in. And we had everything right. My appearance was right. My speech was right. I've repented, Bishop. I've been baptized in Jesus' name, Pastor. I've spoken tongues as the Holy Ghost came. I've lived a godly, righteous life. But in Christian matters that are found in the book of Romans through Jude, that we are taught in our lifestyle how to live and how to do, there are things that we just disregarded. Like loving our enemy. Like praying for those that despitefully use you. Hello. Yeah, Lord. I don't have the option of disregarding that when Jesus said greater than these, love your neighbor as yourself. If I disregard it, I classify it as not important. Then I've just fostered a seed of disobedience in my life. And that seed grows. It doesn't start out big. When you, when you, I, I'm not a horticulturalist. I'm not even a, a minor green thumb. I plant it, it dies no matter how much I water it. I kill fish because I overfeed them. So don't look to me for animal care and help. <laughs> but the books tell me and the experts tell me that when you plant something, when you plant the tree, it doesn't have roots yet. You've got a seed. And you have to plant the seed in the right type of soil I pray we're doing that tonight. You've got to plant the seed in the right type of soil. You've got to water it. You've got to fertilize it, and it grows. And that little bitty tiny seed that you can barely see, eventually, and in years to come, becomes the mighty oak. Similar to that, the seed of disobedience and rebellion in your life doesn't start out big. The reason why some people can have the audacity to look at their man of God and tell him no is because somewhere sitting on a church pew on a Sunday night during preaching, you checked out. If I'm provoking you at all, I hope it's to, to, to think, not anger. But you checked out. You're at the restaurant already. You're watching your watch. When is he going to shut up? Come on. Let's get real tonight. We've done it. We've disregarded things. The safe things of God. 
to not regard worship time as important, despite how many times you've been taught about its importance, is disobedience. Disregarding what is right in your life or refusing to comply with what is right in your life by the Word of God, in spite of what's knowing is right, is disobedience. Get this. A couple of years ago, I don't remember exactly how long ago it's been, but I can remember the happening. I was teaching on a Friday night, and somehow the subject came up of knowing what is right to do and not doing it. One of our young people that was present at that time made this statement. Just because you say we shouldn't or should do something doesn't mean we're going to listen. This is in the middle of teaching. In the end, we are going to do what we want to do, regardless of what you say. Lord have mercy. You could have knocked me over with just a... I was flabbergasted. In the generation in which I grew up as a teenager... I learned the Word of God, but I did what I was told. Period. We don't live in that age anymore. We live in an age today that even when they understand, even when they'll look at you as a backslider and say, I can still quote it and I can still tell you what's right. But I don't want to live it. We're living in a different hour. We're living in an hour today where people are going to do what people want to do. And the danger of that is that spirit has crept into the church. And it's crept into our worship services. And during worship, people are checking out of worship because I'm going to do what I want to do. And right now, I don't want to worship. That's a seed of disobedience. They'll check out in preaching after worship. Stay with me now. They'll, they'll clap their hands and they'll sing, but check out in preaching because preaching is intimate. Preaching is close. Preaching gets down to where you live. I can feel good in the song. I can feel good in the shout. I can feel good in the pat of the hands. But don't give me preaching. I've seen people stay for our worship services and as soon as the man of God gets up, they leave. Because they don't want the Word. Ladies and gentlemen, we need the Word more than the song. <clears throat> I don't know how long I've been up here, but i got to hurry. Disobedience separates you from God. Like Adam and Eve, we often have every single solitary thing in life we need. I didn't say what you want, what we need. And too often, we're willing to sacrifice all of it for some selfish, petty difference or spirit of rebellion that lies in wait to destroy our lives. Sin brings death, nothing else. You never get a reward for disobeying God. Preacher, I'm not committing any obvious sin. You don't have to. 
The Bible even declares that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You don't have to commit lust, lie, and cheat in order to sin. Refuse to do what's right and you've just committed sin. Tell you what I believe, and this is just what I believe. You could choose differently if you do. I called my pastor Wednesday afternoon, and I said, "I'm thinking of going out of town this weekend. I'd like to miss Sunday morning. Is that okay?" And Brother Freddie, God is my witness. If he had said no, I would not have went. Now you can choose to not believe that if you want to, but that is the odds, God's honest truth. I believe it with all that is within me. Because if I would report to my employer who gives me a paycheck that I'm going to miss a day of work. Well, let me put it to you this way as an employer. It's your duty to report to your employer when you're going to miss work or you don't need your job. Just, just say. There's a lot of apostolics that I would not hire. Amen. There's a lot of lifestyle changes that need to happen. But if I would report to my employer, I'm sick today, I can't come to work. Or if I would ask him in advance, I'd like to take off Friday afternoon and take half a vacation day to go to fall conference. Is that all right? And if he said no, guess what I have to do? I got work. Calling in sick after lunch and lying about it's not an option. Sacrificing my soul to go to church is a contradiction. Lying to get what I want is going to get me hell, not heaven. We need a wake-up call, ladies and gentlemen. We're not just Christians on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. We need to be Christians and Christ-like and God-like and holy and righteous on every single solitary day of the week. I am convinced the reason why some of our families aren't saved is because we don't act like it when we're not at church. We need a wake-up call in this hour because there is something worth fighting for. The Apostle Paul said, I am set for the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I feel like I'm a defender tonight. We've got to defend what is right. It's important to note in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20 up until Genesis 3 and 20, that all references to Eve were simply the word woman. A name had not even been given to Eve until after sin entered the picture. The reference is on of almost a type of celebration. Adam declared that Eve was the mother of all living. And Adam called Eve his wife, called his wife's name, excuse me, Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. This is after the sin. Did you see the penalty for the sin was death? But they're still alive. They understood the penalty for their sin. But now they would work, they would labor, they would sweat, they would have pain. They were still living. The penalty of death had been averted. And every time Adam would call his wife's name, he would remember that instead of their collective mistakes, that life had been offered to them. 
You need to understand something tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You are not the sum of your mistakes. Somebody in here tonight needs to start getting mad at the devil for duping you into thinking that you are what your mistakes have made you. You are not the sum of your mistakes. Obedience in worship brings life. That's Eve. Obedience in worship brings life. Every time we enter into worship, we need to remember that the penalty for our mistakes has, should have been death. But instead, God's given us life. He's extended grace. The reason why I play and sing is because I'm happy. And the reason I'm happy is because I choose to be because He saved me from my sins. Every time I see someone who used to worship, not worship as much. That's a thermometer reading. When I look out, pastor, leading worship, when I'm standing here, bleeding my guts out from the inside in worship, and I look out there and there's people picking their fingernails. You're not paying attention to God. Whew. Let me say it this way. I don't care if it isn't your favorite song. I don't care if it's not your personal style. But Terry, there's a number of songs I sing in worship that personally I could care less about. Seriously. You know what I'm talking about. Why? Because leading worship's not about me. It's about Him. And if there's a song that I don't like, that some of you do, we're going to throw it in the mix. And we're going to sing it, and we're going to give it everything we got. Why? Because if we'll plant it, God will water it, God will anoint it. This is not about us. When everything in life is not enough, you need to get a closer relationship with God. This is not about me. It's not about you. I understand, I understand, I understand. If anybody understands, I believe I do. But there are times you're tired. And there are times that life just completely whips you. I'm not preaching about those exceptions. We have, in my estimation, in my opinion, and I say this based on my inner dealings and workings with him, we have one of the most gracious and accepting and understanding pastors that there has to be on the face of planet Earth. If I'm working late, Brother Freddie, on a Wednesday night, and I call or text him and say, hey, I can't make it. You know what he says? I understand. Conversation's over. I understand. And when he says I understand, I know he understands. He doesn't guilt me into making sure that I'm doing everything that I need to do. He gives me grace. He gives me latitude and respect and understands that I'm already doing everything I can do to get there or I would be there. 
And I know if he gives me that, he gives you that. Yeah. Yeah. Yet when the preached word of God comes forward, we want to get mad. And you want to bite off the hand that feeds you? Let, let, let me just be real. I'm just trying to be real with you tonight. If you don't like this, talk to God because this is exactly what he gave you. You're not always going to like it. There are times you're going to be told the word of God says this and you're going to be reminded the word of God says this. And that's not what you want to hear. You're going to get mad. You're going to leave. You're going to find you another church. And you're going to have a honeymoon period that's going to last you about six months. And then you're going to cross the line there. And somebody's going to yank your chain in the office. And they're going to tell you, listen, buster, you straighten your attitude up. And then you're going to come back, I, 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 I. And you're going to get your carcass back at the First Apostolic Church. And you're going to say, I'm sorry, Pastor. I should have listened. Because whenever he's telling you you got a bad attitude, straighten up, he uses different words. Not everybody's that nice. I'm one of them. I don't have that much patience. I'm half kidding, but half. Sometimes you don't know what you've got till it's gone. We should not carry things so far that we have to lose things to understand its value. I'm talking about when having everything is not enough. Brother Mason, I don't have everything. Yeah, you do. There's not a person here tonight. Listen to me. There's not a person here tonight, and she agrees with me. That's exactly what she's saying. She's telling you, you better listen to the man of God. I can interpret that. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> We're going to baptize her tonight. <laughs> There's not one person here tonight that doesn't have everything you need. Right. Need, ladies and gentlemen. You may go without some wants. You've got to find a balance in life. There are certain sacrifices that have to be made. And there are times that we've not sacrificed near as much as we think we have. Adam and Eve had it all. Look at me. They lost it over one thing. One thing. I've seen men lose their families over one thing. 
You may excuse yourself from the responsibility of your actions by offering yourself judgment that it's just one time. But one time can cost you a life penalty. You may get forgiveness, but you may lose your place in the garden. Hey! Moses spoke to a rock rather than smiting it. The people still got their water. God didn't penalize them for his rebellion. One thing. My God, I look at that and in my flesh I think how unfair it is. But you know what? My judgment of it doesn't change the facts. And the facts of the matter are that Moses, in my estimation from my reading of the word of God, made one mistake. In this Canaan land that they've been after for so many years. They finally get there. And he gets to the border of the, the property line. And God says, Moses, you can't go any farther. You stay right there. Oh, but God, it was just one mistake. You rebelled in front of everybody and refused to obey my voice. One thing. The Bible says you did run well. What doth hinder you? I ask you the question tonight. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice to gain the things that you want in risk of losing everything that you already have? One mistake can lead to a bad relationship. One mistake can lead to unplanned pregnancy. One mistake can lead to disease. One mistake can lead to rebellion and disobedience. One mistake can lead to leaving your relationship with God. One mistake, one mistake is all it takes to lose your happiness and your contentment with God. Because you see, contentment is an important component to have in your life. Contentment. It's defined as... Satisfied with what one has, and I'm hurrying. It's defined as not wanting more or anything else. I conducted a Facebook poll this afternoon. It's a short poll. It's an unofficial poll. But it was interesting to see the results and the, the, the responses that come in. And at the time of my compiling this, these were some of the responses. Some came in afterwards, and that's okay. But I, I asked the question, and here's the question, I quote, what does the word content mean to you? No textbook responses, please. Only personal answers. In other words, I didn't want somebody to tell me what content means. I wanted them to tell me what they feel it is. Here were some of the responses. Comfortable with your life. And I, I've, I've truncated them. I've, I've summarized some of them. Because comfortable with your life. One was happy. One was okay. One was thankful for what you've been blessed with without complaining. Lord, have mercy, we could stop right there for a while. And I'm tempted to, but I don't have time. One was happy with what you have, not asking for more or less. And one was satisfied at the moment. In this short poll, it's easy to see. It's easy to see. But the problem isn't that people don't understand what being content is about. These people understood content. 
in, in some manner of, of explanation, I think every one of them got it right. And those that followed, at least as those that I read before church. It's my personal disclaimer. The problem is not understanding. The problem is what was diagnosed a few years ago by one of our teenagers. The problem is we're going to do what we want to do in spite of whether or not it's right or wrong. People often don't try to proclaim that what they are doing is right until someone challenges them by saying it's wrong. They just do it without worry or hesitation of the consequences. Let me tell you something, folks. You need to think. Thomas, jo Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson was the, the founder and president of IBM at its inception. Everybody's heard of IBM. When we think of IBM, we think of the very first computers. Man, we're talking 50 years ago when computers were the size of this room. Thomas Watson Jr. was the president of that company. And he used to have, I've got a picture of it at home, he used to have a plaque that sat on his desk and it said one word, and that was think. Because he felt like if people had any major deficiency, it wasn't their education and it wasn't their ability. It was the fact that we just don't think I could not agree with him more that even in the church atmosphere there are many occasions in which we just don't think you need to think about who you are just because your last name is a certain name that does not define you Whether your last name is Mason, McGee, Malone, Trout, Cruz, Johnson, Penrod, Wright, Brown, Garrett. I'm going to stop right there. That doesn't define you. Who you choose to be on Monday at 12 o'clock. That's what defines you. Adam and Eve lost it all because they were not content to have everything they needed. They had everything. I went through the list for you. They had everything. Everything but one thing. You can't tell me that there wasn't enough to satisfy them. But if I was to hold up a blank sheet of paper today and, and, and have a, a, a black dot on it that you could see from your seat and ask you what you see, 98% of you, based on polls, 98% of you would say, black dot. Disregarding the 99% of white paper that's in front of you, you would focus on the one thing. That's often what we do in life. We focus on the one thing we shouldn't have. When God's saying, I've given you all of this, is that not enough for you? Come on, tithers. You ought to find a parallel in there somewhere. Well, I lost you for sure now, didn't I? Scared every one of you. You got 90%? I'm just using a mathematical equation here. You got 90%? God only wants 10? 
What do you do with your 90? I'm afraid the problem with our spirituality can be linked directly to our financial stewardship. If you are not a steward of your finances, you're not a steward of your spirit. They are interlinked together. You can't be spiritual on God and not be financially steward. It's not good grammar, but it's good word. What are you willing to lose in order to gain what it is you're after? That's the question tonight. Because you're after something. And to get what you want, you're going to sacrifice something else. I guarantee it. A man became envious of his friends because they had larger and more luxurious homes. So he listed his house with a real estate firm, planning to sell it and purchase a more impressive home. Shortly afterward, as he was reading the classified section of the newspaper, he saw an ad, ad for a house that seemed just right. He promptly called the realtor and said, A house described in today's paper is exactly what I am looking for. I would like to go through it as soon as possible. The agent asked him several questions about it and then replied, But sir, that's your house you're describing. We can become so blinded by our own targets. The things that we strive for cause us to lose everything that's really important in life. We'll give up everything just to have a moment's pleasure. I know we often focus on the men on that sometimes, but it goes hand in hand in today's society. Let me tell you something. 30 minutes of pleasure can cost you a lifetime of pain. We need to keep our eyes on the ball tonight and realize what's right and what's wrong. I'm closing. I've been up here way too long. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and declared, Godliness with contentment is great gain. The word godliness here and in several places of this epistle signifies true religion, Christianity. The word contentment signifies a competency or a sufficiency. It's a measure or a portion of secular things that are just necessary to support life. It's measured by not what other people think is necessary for you. I've had plenty of people tell me what they think I need. Plenty of people in my life tell me I need to date this one, I need to date that one. I should marry this one, I should evangelize, I should pastor. I should do this, I should do that. And some of them cut me off when I didn't listen to them. You need to be firm in your relationship with God so you can stand on your own two feet. Luke 3.14 says, Be content with your wages. Proverbs 14.30 says, Envy is the rottenness of the bones. Luke 12.15 says, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Job 36.11, If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Hear me, somebody. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Philippians 2, 14. We could learn this one. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Philippians 4 and 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
He continues on, and we're leading up to a scripture that we often quote without understanding. He says, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says, I can do all things. Don't, don't start quoting Philippians 4.13 until you can be content. Because you don't really have an understanding of being able to do all things through Christ until you've done without some things. That's why he had been abased and abounded. Those verses leading up to that set the stage for our faith in this. Yes, I can do all things through Christ, but I can do it because I have an understanding that there is contentment in God. Contentment was also defined by Holman's as an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. I don't measure my value by my neighbor's yard or my neighbor's car or their job or their income. Imagine this. Stand with me. That way you know I'm closing. I haven't lied to you. Imagine this. Moses had two sons. They're only mentioned one other time in Scripture after their birth. Moses didn't leave them any land, no possessions, no material wealth, no fame. When Moses died, they couldn't even attend the funeral. And they didn't even know where he was buried. Only God knew. His sons were left with nothing. Nothing except a tabernacle plan. Ten commandments. Five books of God's word. Genesis through Deuteronomy. All authored by their father. And the memory of a dad who had lived a close relationship with Jehovah God. After Moses' death, nothing, nothing is said about his sons or his descendants for 1,000 years. 1 Chronicles 23 and 14 says, Now concerning Moses, the man of God, his sons were named of the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses were Gershom and Eliezer. We find his descendants 1,000 years later over the treasury of the house of God and the distribution of the spoils brought back from war. 1,000 years later, Moses' descendants and children are serving God faithfully. You realize how many generations that is? We can't get past five. 1,000 years later, they're serving God faithfully. And the only blueprint He left them was one of worship and a relationship with God. You may not have anything else to leave, but that's more than enough. Oh, that's more than enough. When you reach the point that everything isn't enough, you are about to lose everything despite your efforts to gain. This altar is open tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.